Holy Spirit, we invite you into the, this quiet place and space of our hearts and of our minds. We still ourselves before you in order to know that you are God. Holy Spirit, open the eyes of our heart, open our spiritual ears. Tune us to the frequency that is your language. We pray for the word of God to find a place of peace and quiet, to rest in our spirits, to renew our minds. to open our hearts to what it means to be loved by God and to open our hearts to what it means to love one another. Transform us by your power and according to your will. Thank you for the way that you mold and shape us for your patience, for your grace, for your mercy. Each person in this room here today comes, comes from somewhere you know, with wounds and hurts and history and joys and triumphs and, and victory. and um, We all come uniquely to this place and this space and this text today. And we desire to be taught and changed by you. So God, take us all to that place of unity where we are deeply needful of you. Bring us again to the cross that cleanses us. Bring us again to your empty tomb that gives us the victory in Jesus Christ. May we stand there united together. In Jesus' name, amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are on a journey together, growing and deepening ourselves in Christ, moving from a church that is planted in mission to a church that is rooted on our land and in this world for the sake of Christ. We desire to be a church and a people of God that are rooted in the love of Christ, with every person a worshiper whose life is consumed with the beauty and glory of Christ, so much so that his supremacy and worship in the whole world are our chief concerns. This is not only the church that we desire to be, but in actuality, it is all that there is for the reception of even anything close to what Jesus describes as abundant life. These verses... Romans 12, 1 and 2, are for many people a guidepost, a, a, a life verse, or a grand summation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In reality, though, these verses are not a summary at all. Rather, they are an introduction to a, a new set of concepts. Paul is beginning a section of application in this part of Romans that is linked to the rest of what he has previously written. The apostle has spent the former 11 chapters explaining the spiritual definitions and implications of the gospel. Particularly, in chapters 9 to 11 of Romans, Paul has been drawing the reader's minds to an explosion of huge thought process and engagement. Paul says the gospel is for everyone, Jews and Gentiles. And furthermore, the gospel is wrapped up in God, and God's plans are coming to pass, and these plans are a mystery to humans. But God is God, and God will do whatever he wants to do, and his doing will always result in his greater glory, which is always for the greatest good for humans, because it is only in an expanding glory of God that we can ever experience his love, which is his heart for us. Paul ends this mind-blowing section of Romans 9-11 to with these words, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Remember, there are no chapter breaks in Paul's letter. Notice the correlation between God's mind at the end of chapter 11 and the call to the mind of the believer in verse 2 of Romans 12. God's mind is far above, unsearchable, inscrutable, unknowable, containing all things everywhere for all time. The human's mind is old and broken, incapable of accessing and receiving the mind of the Lord. That is why the call is to renew. 
When Paul pictures a life that is transformed by the mind of Christ, he calls upon the imagination of his readers. Living sacrifices. That's what you should be. Don't be crammed into the world's mold. Be transformed. Metamorphosis, like a butterfly. You are a new species. Picture yourself like this, God says. See yourself like this. Think of yourself in this way. When you look at you, and when you look at me, see you and me the way I see you and me, says the Lord. Your maker says to you today, I made you. I created you. You are mine, so come and die and become alive again, a living sacrifice. And by this, you worship me. So see yourself like I see you. Think like me with the new mind I've put in you. You are transformed. Be not conformed. At the beginning of this year, um, Lebanon, our city government, and uh, the Chamber of Commerce um, decided to rebrand our town. Um, we're going to bring Lebanon you know, up into the 21st century, apparently. And uh, so, um, so they decided to rebrand our town, and they hired some outside consultants and um, met with people. There was a couple of town hall meetings, which were extremely exciting, up at Hack and, um, and, and there was a lot of uh, imagination put into what's our What's our town going to become? What's our brand? And uh, what they settled upon um, is that uh, Lebanon's new marketing campaign is Lebanon, the place to grow. All right, Lebanon, the, the, the place to grow. And there's a cool outline of our, of our skyline. Um, I never thought of Lebanon the skyline before. Um, uh, you know, in this nice little, nice little thing. And so, um, so this is what the Chamber of Commerce put, in, put into action. They came up with a creative idea in the midst of all this to... Um, to uh, get in touch with, with local businesses and people here in Lebanon and offer the opportunity to make a, uh, a commercial, per se, for, uh, for this new tagline, for Lebanon, the place to grow. It was to be one minute in length, and it was to somehow embody your conception of what it means for Lebanon to be a place to grow. Um, they motivated people um, into doing this by saying that you could use your business or, or nonprofit or whoever you are to, um, this would be a, an advertising campaign, not just for Lebanon, but this would also be a good way to get your business's name out there. Um, and so, uh, so a, a, a bunch of videos were made and um, of, of varying degree, of, of varying concept, and um, Justin heard about this and thought, I wonder what a, a redemptive spin to this idea would be. And uh, so Justin got together a team of artists from here at Cornerstone, and um, that song that you heard playing, uh, DJ wrote that song. Um, our artists uh, drew all these things. They didn't draw them that fast. That's actually some <laughs> fancy camera work. I mean, we've got some talented people, but let's not get carried away. And, uh, and... So they filmed this thing and, and edited it down, and um, ours is one of the few ones to stay within the one-minute con- time constraint, and uh, so it was then submitted to the, uh, the Chamber of Commerce. Um, there were, in, in my mind, like a, a surprising amount of videos that were submitted. Uh, I don't know how many there were in all. Justin, do you know how many there were in all? It might, yeah, it might have been like 20 or 30, yeah, something, uh, something like that. And this was a competition, all right? This was a, um, they were going to, 
the, the top 10 were going to be chosen. And then at the uh, Lebanon County Fair a few weeks ago, the winners would be, uh, would be announced at this point the, and, and have your videos shown and all these different things. Um, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Wow. You know? Like, what an interesting thing. Lebanon, the, the place to grow. How do we see our city? How, how do you see Lebanon? Let's take a step back. How do you see your neighbors? We'll take a step back from that. How do you see your home? How do you view your family? Take a step back from that. How do, how do you view yourself? Who names you? Who says who you are? Who defines what you will be? In a lot of ways, we oftentimes try to be very self-defining. And we live according to our own definitions and our own pictures of self. In this marketing campaign, it, it, was, it was very interesting to watch um, different businesses and different ideas and concepts um, engage this, th- this thing and trying to look at what, what it looks like. Um, ours was uh, one that was pretty unique. Um, from what I could tell, we were the only re- religious affiliation um, that, that, that made a video. And, um, I mean, and if you look at the video, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty blatant. You know, to, you know, we start off with Scripture. We use our, our foundational verse, Isaiah twenty nine seventeen. Soon, and it will not be very long, Lebanon will be a, a fertile field. You know, the, uh, uh, the, the captives will be free. The blind will see. The deaf will hear. The lame will walk. You know, the, the, the poor will, will, will rejoice in the name of our God. What our artists did was created this really beautiful, redemptive thing that God used to speak his view of who our city is. Did you see that? Like, this video gets it. This video gets Romans 12, 1 and 2. It understands the notion and the concept of transformation. You know, um, outside of our building, there's a shade tree, but there's no little girl swinging in it. You know, wouldn't it be cool if Cumberland Street became this nice big long grass where kids played and it was this wonderful, uh, peaceful place, you know, where we enjoy God's creation together? Wouldn't it be cool if the old railroad house over at at, uh, uh, 8th and Willow, just north of there, if that were to be fully redeemed and the glory of Christ were to speak from that place? But God does see things this way. In God's mind, the kingdom doesn't have a question mark at the end. It's not a question of, of, of will we win. Jesus Christ has won. And we stand and move in that. And that's why you can be a living sacrifice. And that's why you can live transformed. And though you might not be who it is that you desire to be, and you might not be engaging things the way you desire to be engaging things, the reality of who Jesus has made you to be as a son who is eternally loved and who has been set free from sin, death, and the curse, these things are true whether or not you feel them, whether or not you understand them. To be a living sacrifice means to submit. It means to take our minds and to give it to the mind of Christ. 
I hear it all the time, you know, that, that yeah, it's great to hear what it is that, that the scriptures say and what God says, but you don't understand my reality. Now, I think I do understand your reality, but even if I understand, it doesn't really matter because God understands your reality, and his reality is actually your reality. Who, what he says is actually what's authoritative. And so when he calls us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, not conformed to the world around us, what he is calling us to is to a beautiful engagement with his mind and our mind. Transformation is about what you think. Transformation is about the way that your head works. You are transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what is it that you see in there? What imagination, what pictures, what reality would God speak into your heart and your mind and your quiet spaces to shift who you are? Let's watch this example of transformation again. In case you're wondering, our video got second place. And, uh, and, <clears throat> and it would have gotten first if it didn't have a verse at the front, I think. But that's, no, 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 that's just me. That's just my commentary. Um, I just thought it would be cool. Uh, and it also, obviously, um, got viewed by a good amount of folks, uh, both online and at the fair. So like, this is the beauty of art. You know, this is art that can, I mean, you can take something that looks to some people just like a skill and you can use it so redemptively, be it music, be it drawing or, 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 or sculpture or woodworking. I mean, God has revelations of his beauty everywhere. And, um, and I'm just so pleased with the way that God used this, uh, this opportunity for his glory. Really cool stuff. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and that members do not all have the same function, so we through many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. In C.S. Lewis' book, The Problem of Pain, it is one of the great works on the Christian and the call to suffering. Lewis, like no other author can do, links the spirit to the mind and calls the two together in viewing reality, God's reality. Uh, This quote is on your bulletin as well. In, In this book, Lewis says this, You may have noticed that the books you really love are bound together by a secret thread. You know very well what is the common quality that makes you love them, though you cannot put it into words. And for our days, we work for films too. But most of your friends do not see it at all and often wonder why, liking this, you should also like that. Again, you have stood before some landscape which seems to embody what you have been looking for all your life and then turn to the friend at your side who appears to be seeing what you saw, but at the first words, a gulf, gulf yawns between you and you realize that this landscape means something totally different to him, that he is pursuing an alien vision and cares nothing for the ineffable suggestion by which you are transported. Even in your hobbies, Has there not always been some secret attraction which the others are curiously ignorant of? 
something, not to be identified with, but always on the verge of breaking through. The smell of cut wood in the workshop or the clap-clap of water against the boat's side. Are not all lifelong friendships born at the moment when at last you meet another human being who has some inkling, but faint and uncertain even at the best, of that something which you were born desiring and which beneath the flux of other desires and in all the momentary silences between these louder passions, night and day, year by year, from childhood to old age, you are looking for, watching for, and listening for. You have never had it. All the things that have ever deeply possessed your soul have been but hints of it. Tantalizing glimpses, promises never quite fulfilled, echoes that died away just as they caught your ear. But if it should really become manifest, if there ever came an echo that did not die away, but swelled into the sound itself, you would know it. Beyond all possibility of doubt, you would say, here at last is the thing I was made for. We cannot tell each other about it. It is the secret signature of each soul, the incommunicable and unappeasable want, the thing we desired before we met our wives or made our friends or chose our work, and which we still desire on our deathbeds when the mind no longer knows wife or friend or work. While we are, this is. If we lose this, we lose all. God has made you for something great. Your foundational identity is that of a son who is eternally loved by God, and as a son who is eternally loved by God, our generous Father has gifted us by grace. I mean, the obvious question walking out of verses 1 and 2, being transformed, not conformed, the obvious question is how in the world am I to do that? The answer is simple. It's by grace which is exactly what Paul exhorts us to in verses 3 to 8 of Romans 12. You are gifted grace. You are under God's unmerited favor, and God delights to give you his goodness. That is why we stand in unity and oneness that Paul speaks of in these verses. Of grace, we have all received. God's unmerited goodness and favor rests on each of us eternally and fully. There is none here who is better or worse than another. We are all receivers of grace and needful of grace. It is even from that standpoint of grace that Paul writes here in Romans 12 and tells us all to receive the grace of God together. And it is of this grace that Lewis so eloquently speaks in this excerpt from the problem of pain. That thing, that mysterious longing and belonging which each of our hearts yearns for, that is God's grace to us. It is what makes us who we are That is how we are to be who we were made to be. This thing, this yearning, this meaning, this belonging, this insatiable something is in each of us. And that is God's gift to you. Spiritual gifts are not afterthoughts. They are not some spiritual addendum to keep us busy and help the kingdom succeed. Our king's kingdom is already victorious, and our king is a good king. These spiritual gifts here in Romans, though, are very different than the spiritual gifts that Paul speaks of in Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 12. In Ephesians and 1 Corinthians, Paul lists gifts, Paul lists gifts that you have, that you possess. 
Here in Romans 12, though, Paul speaks about gifts that you are. The grammar, the structure of the list is different here than anywhere else. Every believer can prophesy, but not every believer is gifted a prophet. Every believer can serve, but not every believer is gifted a servant. Every believer can teach, but not every believer is gifted a teacher. Every believer can encourage, but not every believer is gifted an exhorter. Every believer can give, but not every believer is gifted a giver. Every believer can lead, but not every believer is gifted a ruler. Every believer can love extravagantly, but not every believer is gifted a mercy. These gifts are gifts of grace from a generous good father to his beloved children. They are how to be who he made you to be. And they are in and of themselves partial. The full counsel of God is revealed to the full spectrum of his gifts he has given to his people, which is why we must live together in unity and love. So if you are a prophet, then be a prophet with faith. If you are a servant, then serve. If you are a teacher, teach. If you are an exhorter, then encourage. If you are a giver, then give generously. If you are a ruler, then lead zealously. If you are a mercy, then love extravagantly. This is that thing. This is how God has wired you. It is by his grace to you, through his gift to you, as a son in Christ, that you are called to be who it is that you were made to be. These are the things of which Lewis speaks. These gifts are what is missing in the lives of so many of God's children. We have become so busy that we have forgot to be. God's goodness to you and giving you a way to be who he made you to be are his gifts of grace. So you must pursue and live in them according to the grace that he has extended to you in your gift. God's design in you is perfect and complete. You lack nothing for the work to which he has called you. But the enemy steals this from the children of God. And so many of God's kids wander aimlessly through this world because they've never stopped to even receive God's gift of grace, let alone allow him to instruct them in how to, be fully into, in how to fully be who they have been made to be. And yes, no spiritual gifts inventory or tests can take you to this place. This is about intimacy with Christ. There are myriad examples of how this can play itself out. But rather than illustrate it personally, I'll illustrate it corporately. Here at Cornerstone, you might notice that we have a lot of kids. It is a treasure that God has given to us, uh, our children. And um, we are a church that consists of a lot of young families. And so we have a lot of young kids. And the majority of our kids uh, are between ages 0 and 10-ish. Now, it was like that. Uh, it's, it's been like that for a long time. Cornerstone's been a, a church of, of young families. Um, but our, our kids are growing up. I, mean, I don't know if you noticed. I did because my kids are some of the ones that are growing up. And, uh, t- you know, time's flying by. Having kids' ministries for kids is a good idea. It's a good thing to do, you know, because kids learn differently than adults do. And, uh, and, and, and allowing for education and equipping according to how people learn and live is, is, uh, is a really fantastic thing. Um, you know, once kids hit about fourth, fifth grade, the question then becomes, okay, they're getting older, they're getting responsibility, they're beginning to push independence limits. What does it mean for us then to, as a church, to care for our families well? As our kids grow older, how are we going to continue to care for our kids? How are we going to continue to... Um, 
to minister to the totality of the families that come to, to Cornerstone and that engage uh, the body of Christ here. Well, let me start with one thing. Number one is that if you have a child, you are that kid's parent. You are that kid's parent. They belong to you. They're your responsibility. You're responsible for their physical well-being, their emotional well-being, their spiritual well-being. God will look to you for how you form your kids. You are your kid's parent. Number two, we are delighted to come alongside of you in raising our kids together. Right? This is the work that the church is to do. We don't replace you and your parenting. We would be horrible at that. We come alongside of you in your parenting to grow our kids together in the glory of Christ, which means that our ministry to you as their parent is actually more important than our actual ministry to your kid because you're the one who's called to spiritually train them, not us. We help you in spiritually training them. That's our call, is to help you in spiritually training them. But spiritually training our kids is the role of the parent. Now, as our kids get older, and kids are growing up, and they're, they're beginning to learn differently and, and mature differently, you know, we've got kids now who, uh, who are out, out of fourth and fifth grade. We've got a, a group of junior hires, some kids in high school. And the question is, is you know, how would God have us to, to minister to these students? We began asking this question a couple of years ago. And we created this thing called the student transitions class because this is a transition point, you know. Uh, you, the kids are too old for kids' ministries because they learn differently now. So now we want to help transition them into the body life at Cornerstone. I'm a former youth pastor. I've got massive passion for what I'm about to say which is this, that our children are not the future of our church. Our children are a vital part of our church right now. Who they are and how they are who they are is absolutely integral to who we are as a community. Therefore, we should not wait until they graduate from high school to begin to teach them how to be who God made them to be. But somewhere along the way, I think we began to think differently. And I think it was great for that season. I just think we're in a different season. But this idea of raising kids up to junior high and allowing the world to tell us, in essence, adolescence sucks. And it's going to be terrible for you as a parent, too. These are the words that we hear. And this is the stupidity that we see on television, is that your kids are going to lose their minds. It's going to be really hard for you. And uh, you're probably going to lose touch with them but they'll come back around when they hit their 20s because they'll probably come back to live with you. Um, (laughs) Some of the folks here who have kids living with them, they're not laughing as hard as the rest of us. Um, (laughs) This is not God's heart for your family. This is not God's heart for your family. We live in a very different culture than early Judaic society did. I, I understand that. We don't have bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. Our kids are not adults. When they hit age 13, we, we, don't, we, don't, we don't run like this. Um, we live in American culture, and therefore we have to live and serve the way that we do in this regard. But that doesn't mean that we just have to try and copy the world's culture around us, sort of throw Jesus' name on top of it, and then just wait and hope everything is okay when they're 18. That's a bunch of crap. What we can do is we can vitally engage our children in discipleship with you, their parents. 
And that's what we want to do. Um, what's really cool is that we continue to have a lot of kids at Cornerstone. Um, that's just an exciting part of who we are. These kids are getting older. We have, in our student transitions class that we created a couple years ago, um, the idea, again, was to sort of transition kids from kids' ministry into their, into their uh, part in our community here at Cornerstone um, as, as a whole. And um, so this has happened um, on Sunday mornings uh, at different points um, per month. The kids, you, you would hear us announce student transitions, class is dismissed. So they would go to a class where, where we teach them like really basic stuff. This is who the Holy Spirit is. This is who God is. This is Cornerstone's history. This is why we believe what we believe about our city. You know, this is why we believe what we believe about you. And um, so they would engage that creatively. Very cool stuff. Great teachers, um, great kids, a good concept. We've got 16 kids in our student transitions class now. We've got zero space for them to meet. And on top of that, I'm not sure that trying to cram everything together on Sunday mornings is helpful to our students. And as elders, we're not sure that it's helpful to our students. Um, Furthermore, the question becomes, what's the most effective way in today's season for where we are now for discipling students? As a youth pastor, um, uh, I came to find out uh, post my youth ministry career that, uh, and you as parents are probably going to chuckle at what I said because I probably should have picked up on it, but I was, you know, I was 22, what are you going to do? Um, that my kids came to youth group a lot more to connect with their friends than they came to learn about Jesus, which is cool. You know, that, that's great. I'm glad they connect with their friends, and I think my students did learn about Jesus, and, and it was great, and I think some of my students would testify to the fact that, that youth ministry in that regard was a transformational thing in some of their lives. That's great. Um, but we want to create something better than a holding tank for youth ministry students that then we try and, and uh, morph them into big church, as it were, um, once they grow up and get out of high school. Um, we, want, we want to create something vital that engages families well and that disciples our students well. We also want our students to be where they are, and we want you as families to be where you are. We, we want you engaged in rec athletic leagues around our city. We think that's very important for the presence of Christ through you to be there. We want you engaging music lessons in our community. Right? We want you as families out and about in town. We, 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 the last thing we want to do is create more busyness for you. Jesus is much more important than busyness. We also very vitally want to disciple our students. And so what we're going to be moving into is, is this. Um, our kids' ministries used to cut off at fifth grade. We're now going to stop that at fourth grade. Uh, the reason for that is because we have a vision for um, Lebanon High School and Cedar Crest High School and, uh, and Elko, Northern Lebanon, and Anvil Cleona and the different places that our students might end up going to high school. We have a vision for that for, for four years out. We want to see our students at Cornerstone being agents of transformation in the schools in which they live. So what we're doing is we're taking this clump from fifth grade to eighth grade-ish. We've got some kids that are a little older than that, though not much older than that. And we're calling this our Student Transitions Ministries class. With a goal to, then in four years, we're going to have a bunch of freshmen to seniors in high schools across our region. And we're going to begin to transition and help these students transition in what is a very Americanly difficult time in life, along with you as parents in discipling our kids. And the way we're going to do that is through pilgrimages. Um, by pilgrimages, I mean experiences. 
Um, there's something to be said for this fact. How many of you went to some form of youth group as a kid? Okay, very cool. Um, this is a long question I'm about to ask, so stay, stay with me. What did you remember better? The week-to-week youth group stuff that you did or the special experiences along the way, like summer camps, retreats, uh, uh, formational um, engagement with older adults in purposeful settings. How many of you remember those things better and formed you better? Yeah, that, that, that's pilgrimage. Right? Pilgrimage means you take a journey for the purpose of growth. That, that, that's pilgrimage in, in scriptural context. And that's what we want to create. We want to create pilgrimage discipleship for our students. I think it's cool that my friends or that my, my students came to youth group to connect with their friends. Today, there's cell phones and Facebook and all kinds of other crazy virtual things that we all know are horrible ways to have relationship, that they're, 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 they're not healthy to, to engage in these things wrongly. Like too much of this is not good, and how we teach our students to engage it is, is all another part of the discipleship process. But we want our students connecting, right? We, we want them where they are. We want them living where they are. But we also want to disciple them along the way. And so what we're, what we're creating as a church, and again, we are actually in, in the process of creating this, is this pilgrimage discipleship concept, creating experiences. We already had one already. YWAM had a missions day. And our students went to this missions day and learned about missions there with YWAM. And it was cool. It was way cool. I think our kids learned some great things and engaged some great people that expanded their minds about what it means for them to be a follower of Jesus. That's pilgrimage discipleship. And we want to continue creating these experiences and creating these things to step into, sometimes with just the kids, sometimes as whole families, with you as parents as well, and coming alongside of us. What we are going after is this stuff. We are going after naming who we are in Christ, who who each one of us, including our kids, have been gifted to be in Christ, and training one another and them in what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's our heart. And so when we go after things like Romans 12 is telling us here, these gifts of grace, these identities in Christ that he's put within us, understand this, is that God has given us everything we need to be who we're meant to be. And our student transitions ministry is just one aspect of what it means for us to be whole people here at Cornerstone. And God's grace is just that good to us. So that's an example of ways that we're trying to think and to engage the body of Christ to be more fully who it is that God made us to be. You might look at these gifts here in Romans 12 and be like, I don't have a clue. That's all right. That's all right. We've got plans for you too, but not this morning. Let's, um, let's worship and reflect and meditate on Jesus together. In essence, Paul uses this list of commands and admonitions in verses 9 to 21 as a picture of what the transformed life lived in the grace of that is, the gifts of God, is to be. These are not some hoped-for virtues. They are meant to be spiritual realities in God's body, the church. But we have packaged and commoditized these things, losing the real-life, real-time application that they are meant to possess. This is not a checklist. This is reality, summed up in the statement, Love one another with brotherly affection.
So we have to see and think about what we would normally simply regard as a list of commands differently. So to teach these verses to you, I want to tell you about an experience which God graced me with this past Tuesday at Midtown Scholar Bookstore in Harrisburg. The title of this is Charity. The four-sentence email was unexpected. Hi, Charity. I know we haven't talked in a while, and this is sort of coming out of nowhere, but Julie told me you're moving into the area in a few weeks for your internship. I'm not trying to make things weird or anything, but when you get here, I really need to talk with you. It's really important. Please let me know if and when we might connect. Yours, Matt. Matt wanted to meet at his place, but Charity thought it would be better if they met somewhere more public. Less, po- less possibility for things to get weird. She hadn't talked with Matt in two years, other than the occasional social networking comment here or there. But through some mutual friends, she had learned that while they had both moved on, he had never really gotten over her. Matt was a great guy. She held great fondness in her heart for him and their time together, but it just wasn't a good match. She had wanted risk and spontaneity, adventure and passion. Matt had wanted to work hard on his accounting degree, settle down with a woman he loved, and start a family. Some things just weren't meant to be, you know? Having thought they both understood their relationship was one of those things that was not just meant to be, Charity was really surprised when Matt emailed her asking to meet face-to-face. Two years with almost no contact, and now he has asked for a face-to-face meeting at his place? She couldn't say no. He had heard that she landed an internship in Harrisburg, that she was moving there to complete her graduate studies in social work. With Harrisburg being his hometown and all, distance was no longer a reason for lack of friendship or even casual connection. Charity assumed that what she had heard was really stirring in him, and that was the reason for the email. He still had it bad for her, and now that she was going to be local, he'd give it another try. She suggested Midtown Scholar, a book lover's paradise in the northern part of town that they often frequented when they would stay at Matt's parents' place on college breaks. It was a warm atmosphere and quiet, And the books made her feel safe, and they knew that they made Matt feel safe, too. It was a win-win. The day of their meeting, she was running behind. Her new landlord hadn't shown up when he was supposed to. Half of her stuff was still in the back of the car, and lunch had come and gone without her even noticing it. Before she realized, it was 1 o'clock, and she hadn't even left yet. 25 miles per hour speed limits only apply if you're not late for an important conversation with an ex. And And soaring south on 3rd Street, she was relieved to find an empty spot on the street just outside the bookstore. Walking in, she looked up to the balcony area and spied Matt at the end of a row of tables. He was staring over the railing as in she walked. Their eyes connected, and they both smiled their greetings. She motioned at the coffee counter, and he reached across the table and held up a cup of tea he'd already ordered and doctored for her, a little agave and a splash of 2%. He did still have it bad for her. Her stomach churned as she smiled at his thoughtfulness and headed for the stairs. Walking down the row of high-top tables next to the classic literature section, Matt was seated just past a big guy with a big beard, working alone at his table, banging away on a laptop and occasionally referencing an open Bible. She'd always thought the tables in this bookstore were too close together. But on this occasion, she was glad for it, because that factor, too, would keep things from getting weird. Standing to greet her, Matt opened his arms and leaned in to give her a peck on the cheek. Charity quickly pulled his shoulders in close with her hug, causing his lips to move past her cheek and into the short-cropped hair just behind her left ear. They smiled at one another as she sat down and said, It's so good to see you, Matt. I'm sorry to be so late. 
Things have been insane with the move and everything. Don't worry about that, Matt said. It's just good to see you again. You cut your hair. It looks great. Blushing, her fingers moved through her short, th- moved through her short brown waves. Yeah, pr- pretty drastic, huh? Way different than the last time we saw each other. Well, you look great. It's great to see you. Thanks for replying to my email. Yeah, of course, Charity replied. Awkward silence. So, uh, how's your family? Mom and dad are good. Same old, same old. Matt continued, dad's still plugging away at the firm. Mom's trying to convince him why early retirement is a good option. He swears if he stops working, she'll drive him to the nut house, and she says that he sent her there three years ago. Charity laughed easily. <laughs> that sounds like them. I always loved your parents. Glad to hear they're doing well. And your brother, how's Andrew? Andrew's okay. He lives in Manhattan with his wife and my niece and nephew. Works for some big finance company downtown and plays in Central Park on the weekends. Living the New York dream. I guess that numbers are just something that's in our blood. And uh, you, Matt asked, what's new with you? I'm beside your hair, of course. Charity had foreshadowed this question for the last three weeks. So her response was practiced and ready to go. Good, she said. She had graduated from James Madison University a couple months ago and a full year after Matt finished his degree there. Did some refugee work in Africa last summer, gave a quick rundown of the state of her family. Neat and tidy, no room for misinterpretations, just like she practiced. Matt paused a bit awkwardly at the end of her rehearsed answer. She knew what he was going to ask. She felt like everyone in the whole bookstore knew what he was going to say. The baristas downstairs wanted to know the answer too. And the big guy with the beard was certainly working this into his Bible study. He was, she was sure of it. Matt shifted a bit in his seat and looked shiftily down at the wood grain on the table. So are you dating anyone? That's what he was going to say next. Charity could feel it. So I guess you're probably wondering what's so important that it prompted an email after all these months. Well, yeah, she said. I mean, I, I was surprised. He again broke eye t- contact with her and glanced around. Folding his hands together and putting his elbows on the table, he leaned a bit closer. Here it comes, she thought to herself. Charity, there's something I need to tell you. Okay. I have cancer. Time froze. Charity froze. The whole bookstore froze. Nothing moved. It was like being in a classic literature bookstore time warp. Her mind was reeling a million miles a minute, trying to think of something to say to this most unexpected and torturous of factual statements. But her mind and mouth were frozen. All she could manage was, what? Cancer. I've been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Her mind continued to spin. What do you say in this kind of conversation? How do you engage this thing? How can I be 23 and never have experienced this kind of thing? What do I say? She laid her hand on his. Oh, Matt, I I don't know what to say. I'm I'm so sorry. The confusion in her mind was matched only by the blatancy and finality of his statement. Cancer. Matt, how did this happen? What's going to happen? Why? What's next? How long? What? Matt continued. Yeah, a few months ago, or I started having pain in my stomach area. At first I thought it was gas or something, but it kept getting worse. Eventually I went to the doctor and he began to test things, process of elimination, and a few months later, here I am with cancer. Thinking back to her fears about her assumed topic of conversation, Charity felt like such an idiot. Her next question confirmed it. Is it bad? Matt laughed, breaking what was beginning to become a very heavy tension. 
She embarrassingly smiled at the elementary nature of her question, but they both knew what she was truly asking. Well, well, yeah, he smiled. (laughs) It is cancer. She rolled her eyes at herself. But to answer your question, yeah, it's bad. Pancreas cancer can be one of the worst, and mine has gone undetected for a while. I probably even had it when we were together. My doctor won't give me a prognosis, says I'm too young to be told when to die. But from what I can tell, I might have two, three years, hopefully more. Her eyes pooled with tears. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. He looked her in the eye. Yeah, me too. It was quiet for a moment. So do you have options? Is there treatment or something? Oh, yeah, there's treatment, but it's not a good outlook. The cancer has already made its way to my lungs, so if they do surgery, it'll just be for pain management. It won't help anything as far as a cure or anything. But I'll get chemo and radiation, typical cancer measures. Quiet again. He spoke again. I'm, I'm sorry to dump these on you like this, in public like this, but it's not something you say in an email, and my place turned out to not be an option. Oh, I'm so sorry, man. I, I don't know what to say. I, I wish I could do something. Can, can I do something? There's nothing to do, he replied. I really appreciate you having this conversation and letting me tell you this. Our time together was and is so special to me, and I wanted to tell you face to face. He smiled, continuing, and I'm not trying to get your, my ex-boyfriend has cancer now, so maybe I should go out with him again, vote of sympathy. I just wanted you to know about it and to know that I still really value and care about you. I'm sorry this is what our conversation had to be about. Charity smiled her gratitude through the tears and looked away. You can only talk about cancer for so long. After a while, you just keep saying the same facts in different ways, meandering in a lazy loop around the worst subject ever. Cancer is a terrible conversation to catch up over. Charity and Matt talked for another hour about her internship opportunity working with Tibetan refugees and about his new job crunching numbers for the IRS. Together, they talked about how Matt's family was processing this cancer news in ways that he was keeping hope in his heart. They reminisced about their time at James Madison and caught up on what was going on in the lives of some of their mutual friends. They talked about films and books and indie rock. They spoke as two people outside the world of dating and past romance. That world was beneath their relationship now. This had gone from keeping appropriate distances and measures and understandings about what was and what wasn't. This had become about love and hope and faith and truth and grief and fear and presence. Charity knew why Matt had wanted to meet with her. Sure, he wanted to respect and include her by communicating this news personally, but in his heart, he didn't want to be alone. And she knew what that felt like. To not want to be alone. The problem was, she didn't know how to be that for him. With something like cancer screaming so loud, how could anyone help him? But she would try. Matt had to go. Had to get back to the office for a meeting of reports. Thanks so much for meeting me here, he said. You have no idea how much it meant to me. Rising from her chair, she said, Matt, I'm glad I'm here now. In the face of something like this, I have no idea how I can help. But I'll be with you in it, and we'll help whenever whenever I can. Embracing, they said their goodbyes, and Matt headed for the door. Desiring to busy herself with something else, anything else, Charity sank back into her chair and pulled out her laptop. Opening her email, she sent another note to her landlord about getting another copy of the key in the leaking bathroom faucet. Then she sent Matt an email, giving him her current phone number. Opening a new blank email, she typed in her mom's email address, calling the subject simply, so sad. Mom, 
You told me to let you know how the conversation with Matt went. It wasn't at all what I thought it would be. Matt told me he has cancer. Slamming her computer shut and not sending the email, she grabbed for her phone and called her mother. Voicemail. Hey, Mom, it's me. Wanted to let you know how the conversation with Matt went. Her voice started to break. It was hard, Mom. Really hard. Call me when you can. Love you. Charity was so full of emotion, her world was literally spinning. She was sad, so very, very sad, and angry, and frustrated, and hurt, and she needed to get away, somewhere to be alone where she could cry and release this weight. Standing up, she pushed her laptop harshly into her bag. Grabbing at her phone, she missed and knocked it off the high-top table onto the floor, causing the cover to break off. Cursing underneath her breath, she grabbed a couple of the pieces, trying to fit them back together. Frustrated, she gave up, turning to leave. The guy with the beard was looking at her, holding out the last piece of the broken case. His eyes had filled with tears. I'm really sorry about your friend, he said. Her voice stuck in her throat, and she just nodded her thanks. Beginning to cry, she walked through the row of bookcases, down the stairs, and into the openness of the city. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. God, we want to love like you love us. We want to be people who channel your love to one another. Teach us what it means to know you more deeply, that we might give your love more freely to our family, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our coworkers, to the people and strangers that we meet in the places that we go. Transform lives, transformed lives by your gifts of grace so that the love of God expands and that people know you. In Jesus' name, amen. And what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
and on this we rest, and on this we stand. Hi, my name is Sherry. Um, When the scripture was being read today, um, I was praying for myself and and all of us as a body, and um, I felt like God wanted me to share with you. Um, I think a lot of times um, as Christians, I think maybe I've even said this before, we misunderstand our emotions, whether it's our pain or our anger. Um, These are just things that we really wrestle with as Christians. Like, we're not supposed to feel these things. And I just felt it again in the Spirit today as the Scripture was being read that um, it's not about not feeling those things. It's about embracing those things and how you feel it. And so, um, um, so, yeah, as you go out today and in your life, pray for... um, a knowledge, like that's what I kept thinking, was the knowledge of what Proverbs talks about, to truly understand what God means in his word. Like sometimes we read it and we just think that it, well, I have to be perfect. I have to look this certain way. And that's not at all what what God is really saying in the scripture. Um, He's really saying that it's okay to be angry because he's been angry. Um, and it's okay to feel pain. It's okay to um, be on the mountaintop. If you're on the mountaintop today, then you're on the mountaintop. That's great. But um, really the, the last thing I wanted to leave with you um, from God was to be validated by him. A lot of times we think that it's not okay for other people to validate us, and that's not true. So be validated wherever you are. If you are in pain, be validated in your pain by God. If you are in joy, be validated in your joy. If you are in anger or despair or sorrow, be validated in that. You don't need to run from it and you don't need to be afraid of it. Embrace it and allow God to show you who he is in it. So be validated today, Cornerstone. Let's pray. God, thank you for your validation that comes through your son. Um, You know, you name us as new creatures, as sons of God, as the bride of Christ. This is our rock bed. This is where we stand as legitimate sons of you. And so um, may may we rest in that place and be confident in that place and move and and have our being from that space and that, uh, that deep relationship with you where you are over us, naming us and calling us, transforming us, renewing our minds, gifting us by your grace and as channels of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. Go with God.